0: I guess, welcome to the second episode of the Mythology Project. Welcome back. Today, uh, I was thinking we would talk a bit about Inuit cosmology. Um, I think the first thing to clarify is what cosmology is. Um,
1: Could we maybe perhaps start with Inuit?
0: (laughs) Yes. um, We could also start there, if that makes sense as well. Um... When talking about the Inuit peoples, we're talking about groups of uh, indigenous people that you would find places like Greenland, Canada, Alaska, I think as well. I, uh,
1: I think there are some Inuit in Alaska.
0: They are most closely related to groups of people, uh, closely related culturally, to groups of people found in uh, Siberia. Um, okay. They are also sometimes, like in some of the sources for today's podcast, referred to as Eskimos. And I've also referenced that, I think, in my terminology blog post, because there is some difficulty there, uh, because there are groups that are actually okay with the term Eskimo, and there are many, many groups that are not, Uh, hence why we use the term Inuit.
1: But it's it's generally, as far as, as far as my understanding goes, it's it's the peoples, the various indigenous peoples of the northern belt of America, yeah. Greenland. Yeah. It, it does that include even people over to or it's like northern Norway, Finland.
0: Uh, well, in Norway and Finland, uh, you would have Samis and stuff like that. Okay. And they're different. Okay. Um, they have a fairly different, yeah, cosmology religion. Okay. Um. The reason we lump groups from Greenland and Canada and Alaska together yeah. uh, is, of course, there's some genetic heritage that they share, uh, but our classification as these groups, as Inuits, is more that they share uh, culture, they share mythology. Um, yeah. but they have the, the stories we'll mainly be working with, or my entrance into the stories we'll mainly be working with is through Greenland. Uh, But trying to find sources that are in English. Most of the sources I can find are from Canada. And I can tell that I have read the same stories, but recorded in Danish from Greenland. Uh, So it's it's one of these... We are lumping them all together because they have a very much a shared foundation for their society. Hmm. Um, Today I was thinking we'd talk about cosmology. Yes. Um, And... In Religious Studies, we have the term cosmology as well as the term cosmogony. And cosmology... I can see you're looking a little confused. Yes. <laughs> cosmology is descriptions of uh, how the universe is put together, how it was developed, mm-hmm. uh, how, why the things we see in it today are the way they are. Uh, so cosmology is a term for, like, myths that attempt to explain the ways of the world. Yeah. Uh, Cosmogony, on the other hand, is a myth of creation. Of course, the one most of us probably are familiar with would be Genesis. Yeah. Um, That the thing sort of is um, that a lot of these, a lot of indigenous cultures don't have cosmogonic myths. Yeah. They just have cosmological ones. Okay. I find that quite. I don't know if that makes sense to me. Yeah. The, this idea that the world was just there. Huh. And then things in it sort of changed. Yeah. Um. So do, we won't today discuss how the universe was created within Inuit uh, religion because that's not that wasn't relevant. Yeah. I suppose it was more relevant to talk about why the sun and the moon move the way they do, mm. or why there are more. Animal to, like, why there's more animals to hunt in certain times of the year than others. Because those things impact your life. Yeah. Sitting around and thinking about how the universe came to be is probably more something you do later on when you have, like, you don't have to focus about getting your food all the time. or. Yeah,
1: you, yeah you, you, you're able to have the luxury of mm-hmm. when you have the extra food resources, you can kind of think about these mm-hmm. deeper uh, philosophical questions. Yeah. It's, Whereas, yeah, when you're in an area of the world such as this, and food can be quite scarce and difficult to come by. Um, so that's kind of what you think about the practicalities of life, really.
0: Yeah. So. Um, and I was thinking, today we're going to look at... I picked four different myths. They're not very long, and I'm not going to go through them in extensive detail. hmm I just want to talk about the things that I found interesting when interesting when I read these myths. Yep. Um, three of them I've not been able to find in English, so I will just give my sort of like I'll just talk about what what they're about, and then yeah, uh, we'll we'll have to work from there because that you? that's one of the difficulties with specifically Inuit religion is that a lot of the source material we have were written down by Danish people, in Danish, and never translated. Yeah. Because, but, of course, we have a problematic history of colonization. <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: <laughs> I, I guess it's a kind of a side note of Greenland is part of the Kingdom of Denmark, along with the Faroe Islands, if I remember
0: Yeah, Iceland has been too, as well. But, I, I, yeah. yeah, I was um,
1: talking about it
0: Um But... Yeah, uh, Greenland is like our one real colony. We had a couple of other places that we messed around and probably shouldn't have, but uh, when you talk about like the the things that happened between Greenland and Denmark, that's a proper history of colonization. Yeah, yeah. And um, some truly awful things happened. It's similar stories that we'll also talk about, I think, in other places of the world. Um children were taken from their parents uh taken from greenland to denmark to be brought up in danish values um, yes which of course ended up being incredibly damaging and probably part of the reason that greenland today is facing a series of significant issues um that are hard for them to move past because they like the, the damage has been done yes um and it's also like many other places, uh, there's a strange history of kind of taking responsibility for the things that we we did as a nation, and but kind of not. Yeah, um,
1: the there has been something just in the last few days about mm-hmm. the Danish prime minister, I guess, Mette uh, Frederiksen, has apologized to a whole bunch of Greenlandic children that were taken from Greenland to Denmark. Mm. In the nineteen forties, nineteen
0: fifties? Later era. Than That era. Yeah. yeah. Was it later than that actually? I think so,
1: yeah. Yeah.
0: It was done in different ways, different methods.
1: Yeah. And this is this is something that not just happened with the Greenlandic people and, and Denmark, but this happened in various different all over the world. Mm. Uh the Australians did it too the British did it too uh the people in Canada, they did it to the Aboriginal Australians, they all over the place. Yeah. All over the world. It this occurred not just from mm-hmm. the Denmark side or the British side, but
0: well it, it hits most on, European countries. Yeah. It it hits on a bit of a note that we actually I think briefly discussed or we ended on that note actually in our previous episode. This idea that I don't know if you want to call it Western society or uh, if you follow in the footsteps of someone like Latour, he refers to it as the moderns, yeah. which you will also see, or the postmoderns, or something like that. But in general, in like European mythologies or European ways of thinking, mm. you work between the extremes of assimilation or destruction. And there's been this idea that we could assimilate children into our ways of living, our yeah. ways of thinking. That's just not. You know how it always works. Instead of, well, you you, yourself is an immigrant, and you understand the difficulties of aligning where you come from with mm-hmm. where you're going to, and you even come from a culture that's fairly similar to here. Um, yes, but but the way of reconciling those differences probably isn't through violent assimilation of children, but it's a method that's seen throughout. European colonization history, um, and very recent too, in the grand scheme of things, because it it seems that a lot of thinking is stuck in this either we have to destroy other cultures or we have to assimilate them into our own, which essentially also is a form of of destruction of of culture. Mm. Which is, I suppose, interesting when talking about specifically Greenland, because a large part of the source material we have in Danish comes from the explorer, Knull Asmussen, who went to Greenland and was so taken by the culture there that he went on this great mission to write down a, an immense amount of source material,
1: yep.
0: and he f- sort of, he went the other way, he kind of romanticized the culture that he met, and of course it led us to having, to having a great amount of source materials we wouldn't have had otherwise, but it creates a whole different... Set of problems when you have this romantic, like romanticizing of of indigenous cultures. Yes. When but you come from a a majority culture colonization.
1: Yeah, the the romanticization is is kind of problematic, but it's a lot better than the destruction of that culture than mm-hmm. the the complete erasure of that culture because then at least if we have that knowledge, then we can study it. We can learn about it. Mm.
0: It For sure. The, well, I suppose this is something that I've, I've spent a lot of time delving into recently, because this is one of the cornerstones of my thesis, is this problem of assimilation and destruction, or pluralism. Because it, it seems that our way of thinking doesn't really allow for pluralism in the way you see in other places, like indigenous thinking of Greenland, or Uh, specifically I've been working with Canadian groups of indigenous groups of Canada and there there seems to be just more space to live comfortably in a pluralist take on the world than traditionally present in in European society Mm. which is uh, something I would gladly return to once I've finished my thesis
1: (laughs) (laughs) once that's all been handed in and marked and everything
0: yep but it's about time we actually get into the content matter of Inuit religion. Lead on. <laughs> um, the first sort of myth I found interesting, um, and I I think I should mention here as well that I I wrote my bachelor's thesis on religion of Greenland, specifically on uh, how sexuality is presented in mythology, uh, in the pre-Christian religion. Um,
1: I, I just want to point out nowadays that, that Greenland is mostly Christian, if not entirely yeah. Christian, uh, so we're talking, as you say, pre-Christian Greenland, um, um, so the indigenous religion from there, from there, yeah. before that time.
0: There's a very successful amount of missionary work, successful in the way that missionary work is, I suppose, um, yeah. so there was a large conversion to Christianity. There still is, uh, and there is actually, because they're just, like, they're, they're switching over to um, having their own, like, home rule and stuff like that. Uh, and there is definitely, at the moment, they're searching back to the indigenous culture, maybe more the culture than the religion itself. I think, I was reading that somewhere recently, that a lot of young people are choosing to get traditional facial tattoos done because those were specifically things that were stopped when Danish missionaries came because they're such a, a signal up front of your indigenous culture oh wow um, so there's definitely a searching back towards it in this sort of identity building now that they've ripped loose of the, the Danish ties in yeah. some way um, which is interesting to follow it um, is and I think it will also be interesting to see how they deal with a lot of the issues that were both like a result of the missionary work up there, but also definitely a result of converting their traditional culture into more European ways of life. Mm-hmm. There's some inconsistencies there that are hard to work past, which has then resulted in the Europeans just abolishing that part of traditional culture. Yeah, I suppose, but that's a whole different topic, <laughs> very difficult topic. Yeah, but the first myth I want to talk about is the one of the sun and the moon. Mm-hmm. And essentially the myth goes something like. The sun has a lover. And it's traditional in some of these cultures. To have these ceremonies. Or just sort of things where you turn off all the lights. And then you essentially. You see who you meet in the dark. And that results in whatever it results in. So in one of these. During one of these sessions, she has a lover, or in this version that I was able to find in English, it's hinted that it's not quite consensual. Other versions of the myths I've read, it's very much consensual. Mm -hmm. Um, But she gets curious about who the man she meets with in the dark is. So she covers her hands in suit, and she smears it on him. And then the next morning, she discovers that the man who's covered in suit is her brother, the moon. Okay. And... Um, she reacts in shame so she lights a torch and runs across the sky and he because he's in love with her follows her but his torch is like going out so it's not as bright as hers okay the reason I'm including this here is because I think it's one of the most cosmological like strongest cosmological yeah. myths yeah. you'll you'll find in like Inuit religion mm And it explains a couple of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's a very... What I find pleasing about these myths uh, from Greenland, for example, is that they are very approachable. So this myth explains a handful of things about the world. Yep. It explains why the sun and the moon move in the way that they do. Mm -hmm. It explains why the moon is not as bright as the sun. Yes. And then it presents one of very few sexual taboos. Which is incest. Yes. And it presents you with the knowledge that you should feel shame about incest.
1: Yes. Because Greenland is generally quite... The pre-Christian Greenland is generally quite a sexually open society, shall Mm. we say.
0: Yes and no. There wasn't... And that's also difficult when you read the sources because there's definitely, there's often mentions of marriage, Mm -hmm. but there might also be some of those connotations that have been applied because of the meeting with missionaries. But there's also, there's a large culture for wife swapping. Okay. Um, There's also generally, if you met someone new, you would be offered, like you would offer them your wife for the night. And there's a lot of myths, something I'd like to talk about in the next episode it talks about sex with animals but it's it simply just it's because it's um it's been a society where the pressure for survival has been so large mm. that there is no point in being precious about you being the only one who sleeps with your wife if it doesn't result in offspring and you can also see this in that most of the taboos that these cultures have are about childbirth because they've had a very high rate of death among newborns so mm-hmm. you have a lot of pressure to have healthy children and have surviving children so that the, this like this moralistic thinking about sexuality that we have like we've grown up in or we're familiar yeah, with in our in western europe yeah, yeah like that makes no sense in these societies i also read a brilliant quote somewhere uh, of course in danish <laughs> uh, but essentially saying something I think it was Peter Foyden that wrote it, something along the lines of these cultures, they use sex to deal with tensions in society. So when there is tensions, instead of, you know, killing each other, because that's quite detrimental to society if you go around killing each other, you just kind of, you know, bang each other's wives. <laughs> it it works, you know. It's
1: not a technique I've heard before, but I'm willing to give it a go. <laughs> so
0: it's open to, uh, to different solutions, I suppose. Yeah, um, and there's a lot of really quite humorous stories, and I, I say humorous as in they're meant to be funny. Yeah. About wife shopping and uh, these, I don't know what the proper term in English would be. Would in the Danish word is something like lamp parties or lamp lamp off parties or like where you turn out all the lights and see who you find in the dark.
1: I um, I, I can't say I'm well versed in this kind of terminology, <laughs> so I'm I'm sure. Some listener somewhere will have the answer. That
0: then there's the hope anyway. Yes,
1: please leave a comment <laughs> or anything
0: <laughs> if you know what these things are called. Yes. Um, the second thing I wanted to talk about is the myth of the first people, um, and it also sort of describes how the the world uh, works, and but mainly. What I found kind of interesting about it is that it describes how people all just sort of lived in the sky, and uh, they lived up there. they were immortal. That mm-hmm. was, uh, you know, life is good. It sort of describes this primordial time, time yeah. before time, or time before historical time. Uh, and then a man falls out of the sky and has a baby with the earth, and that is how humans came to be. Huh. Um. And I don't know, I think this is a myth that generally strikes us maybe as funny or, like, because it's so different from, you know, we have this whole, like, Christian myth of, like, how man and woman came to be and how God shaped the world and stuff. And, like, in, in this, like, the myth of Greenland, the world was just there. And the sky was just there. And then a man fell out of it and had some babies with the earth. And that was just sort of that.
1: Huh. That's sort of one way to deal with it, I guess.
0: Yeah. But it's, again, it's just like, what's relevant to know? Yeah. Is it relevant to know why the Earth came to be? Not really. might be kind of relevant to think about why we're here. Yeah. There's a myth that I sadly couldn't find in my, the books I have available at the moment, as well that talks about the origin of Europeans, which is just a girl who can't get married, so her father marries her to the family dog, and she then has babies. And she finds out that her father's gonna kill his children. So she sends them off on a leaf and they float all the way to the Europe. and that's how Europeans came to be. And I always thought that was quite a humorous take. I think because we you know we're so used to our like superior European cultural ideals that Oh, we have to go out there and enlighten these indigenous groups because they're not as developed as we are, and they have these stories of how we came to be because Um, a woman had a baby with a dog. Yeah,
1: we are, we are, they're essentially saying now that Europeans are weird mutant dog people. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: (laughs) And I mean, it's not a bad explanation of such, but it it is this like, you need to explain why these people that they met. Because they met Europeans significantly earlier than missionaries came there. We are fairly sure they've interacted with Vikings.
1: What sort of time period are we talking here?
0: Well, if we're talking Vikings, we're talking pre-year 1000. Okay. And we also, and there's many myths as well detailing how they met indigenous American groups. Yeah. Um, because they've walked all over. Like when it froze over, they would walk to, to the U.S.
1: Yes. Um, when was, when was Knull Osmussen?
0: Ooh, 1800s. Okay. Don't quote me on that, Uh, which I ought to know because this is like one of my specialties. So uh, thank you for pointing out my embarrassing lack of knowledge. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) Um, Then there are two main mythological characters in not all in your religion but especially in your religion of Greenland mm-hmm. uh, you have two very important characters you have the ocean mother yep and the moon man and um, the ocean mother is a character I am quite fond of I wrote my very first exam paper at university about the, the ocean mother okay Um and that's the second of the Danish method, the third of today's method I'd, I've included. And it also kind of shows the importance, like what, the, what is important in these societies. Um, because it describes how uh, there's been a long time where uh, hunting's gone wrong. Yep. So, in response to this, it's necessary for a shaman to Shaman or uh, Angakok, as they would be referred to in Greenland, to go see the ocean's mother. Um, and when he comes to her, he sees that she's all dirty because yeah. the humans aren't living like they're supposed to. So he has to crawl under her back and he has to comb all of her hair. And when he combs to her, her hair, all the ocean animals, like seals and whales and stuff, comes out of it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there's a couple of different versions of the story. Uh, the one I'm most familiar with, she's very wild and like refusing to be combed, because it's just, it's this just like and there's a whole exploration there of femininity in these uh, religions, but it, it's definitely this sort of wild, uh, feminine energy and like untamable kind of thing mm-hmm. that. That as a shaman you have to sort of tame and comb and make her presentable, and then as a reward for that she grants you back the the prey of the ocean, and then when he returns from from his journey that the animals come back, and there's this whole the conclusion uh, the conclusion to the story sort of is that the the first Seal he captures after this is the first seal he saw, uh, come out of her hair and stuff like that. Hmm. Um,
1: so there's a. It sounds like from that there's a bit of a tradition of kind of metamorphosis, between animal and human, um, and, and human and animal.
0: Oh, there absolutely is. Um, right. It's not really so much present in, in this uh, story, but there are other stories. And that's something i will also definitely want to talk about in the next episode
1: oh i look forward to it already
0: all these brilliant teasers for the next topic i know you're just on the edge of your seat yes um but I, i what i mostly noted about this story is this like the core importance of the hunt that the whole mythology is built up around hunting because it, it is the thing that is necessary for survival. Right. So when the hunt goes wrong, you have to have a ritual where the shaman goes to see the ocean mother. Yeah. To, to aid that situation. Huh. Um, and similarly for the last story, I'd wanted to include Let's see if i can find it there's definitely wishes about the moon men and i mean in this version of the story the the shaman just kind of fancies a visit to the moon man <laughs> but there's definitely also stories um where he goes to see the moon man and that's also sort of part of the story mm-hmm. that he goes to see the moon man because the hunt is going bad yeah and then the the moon man, because he lives on the moon, so he, he has he's privy to information that humans are not. So he shows the shaman that the reason the hunt is going bad is because there are women who are breaking taboo rules about what they can and cannot eat after birth. Yeah, But, like, again, you have this really important, I won't say deity, because I don't think it's really a deity, but you have this important supernatural being and the main thing he helps is to bring back hunting because okay. that's like the the whole society centers around this element of survival and yeah. that's what their their sort of main supernatural beings are are there for is to provide the yeah. in some way
1: yeah because obviously this was a hunter-gatherer society this yeah. was not they did not have any sort of agriculture they didn't have any sort of even really today, to a certain extent, they don't really have any sort of farming of any kind, just because of it, it's the, the climate. Yeah. yeah, the climate and the environment up there is just, just doesn't allow mm-hmm. for that.
0: Which is also why you, you see the the continued importance, stressed of like seals and whales and bears and those sorts of animals that they have traditionally hunted. Yeah. And it's also reflected in, and again, that's, I think something I. Also, want to return to a bit in, in depth, like the, the respectfulness that you have around the treatment of animals during the hunt. Yeah. Because it's so important that the hunt continues to be successful. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think, like, the, the main cornerstones or the main like, characters to know uh, of mythology, of especially of Greenland, is this ocean mother and the moon man. Mm. Um and then I suppose I've mentioned a couple of times now about shamans because that's like the the main sort of rituals in in like of course again my angle is a religion of Greenland is the seance that they have with their where the shamans go and visit somewhere on like a different plane of existence. And they've done interesting research into that and it, there's a like there's a lot going on but, but the The main thing to stress is put suppose but the shaman versus like ritual specialists that we are familiar with, like priests mm-hmm. is that a shaman is not a full time religious specialist
1: okay, so that so they just do it on top of whatever else they, they, happen they to
0: do they're also uh fathers and hunters and those sort of things
1: okay, so there would be a guy who was a shaman in for example, a village. Or an encampment, or yeah. whatever you want to call it, but he would also be, he would also be one of the hunters. He would also mm-hmm. do all these other things. He just, it was just an extra hat that he could wear, type yeah. thing.
0: Which again, I suppose, goes back to, you, you don't have. You, there's so much, like, focus on the survival, and there has to be that you you simply as a society can't afford. That There's a guy who's just a religious specialist, yeah,
1: yeah, because they hadn't they didn't have the resources for that okay. specialization for a full time hmm. um, shaman person. Hmm.
0: Typically, in, in a lot of these cultures, the people who are shamans are like they display some sort of signs at a young age that they can do something, or uh, a lot of the time, they're kind of social outcasts, okay. okay. Um, and then in uh Greenland, for example, they would then go on like a i suppose you're called like a spirit quest or something okay um, where they had to go fight a big sort of bear creature, yeah, and essentially be eaten like in in spirit be eaten and then yeah uh, they would come back and they would be able to go like on spirit journeys, yeah, which I believe I have some drawings on somewhere it's a like they. Tie the shaman up, yeah, and then he flies, like his spirit flies. um Essentially, a hog time, huh. and then they turn off all the lights and they have this whole séance and there will be voices and and this sort of thing. And I don't know. I found the séance, the whole thing, very interesting because recent-ish research has shown that a lot of people who are designated shamans have some of the same characteristics in their brain that people with multiple personality disorders do yeah and things like that where they simply can't they struggle to designate between when they say something and when they hear something hmm. so um it like they, they truly when they have these seance experiences they do hear things they do yeah they hear voices and they do experience these things and then of course you can take that in a couple of different ways you can understand that as they hear them because they are hearing them or they hear them and that's maybe more of a like logical science explanation is that they hear them because they simply can't differentiate between themselves saying something and then yeah, hearing yeah. it which is, I don't know, just an interesting <laughs> <It> <laughs> is, yeah. tangent that uh, that was definitely a hole I dived far too deeply into whenever I, I do classes on Greenland <laughs> because I just <laughs> find it very interesting yes. um, because I'm also a scientist. Yeah, I. Um, I suppose it might also be, kind of, just uh, again a side note. Uh, when we are talking about the cosmology of of uh, inuit religions, like because the like the sort of cosmology we know is like there's a heaven and there's a hell and there's the earth and like, uh, and there is actually several afterlife worlds. Yeah. in Inuit religion too Okay. Um, but it's not like you go to one as a punishment or the other as a punishment um, it's more like there's an afterlife in the ocean mm-hmm. where you sort of live surrounded by uh, prey animals and yeah. uh, if I remember correctly you go there if you die on the ocean uh, or in like sort of in the hunt or things like that. Right. Okay. Uh, so it's more of like the afterlife of hunters. Yeah. But then there's also an afterlife in the sky, where that's more of a gatherer lifestyle where you're picking berries and I think they eat ravens too or something like that. Okay. And that's more that's where you're more designated to go if you die, not during the hunt. Yeah. So it's a bit like, um, kind of like Valhalla, in Nordic. Yeah, that was, was
1: kind of what I was thinking that. That if you die in in battle I think mm. it's the common thing that you go and dine with the great gods in Valhalla for eternity type thing and then
0: Whereas if you die during literally anything else you live as shadow existence in, in hell. Oh okay. Well hell in the Norse sense, not in the, yeah, the yeah. Christian sense. Uh, yeah,
1: and not in the Kate Blanchett from the Thor movies sense.
0: I think they call her Hella. Yeah, I they? I think
1: that's she's hella yeah it uh,
0: again I, I could definitely go off an attention there and i i definitely think it would be interesting to explore the cosmology of Norse mythology at some point too uh, Yes. which i yeah i have plans
1: and maybe the mythology of certain movies as well
0: <laughs> uh it's not really my expertise but sure <laughs> but we could
1: we could maybe do an episode on yeah,
0: yeah I, I don't know you sort of have anything... Uh, uh,
1: there's nothing immediately coming to mind, so...
0: I guess that's just...
1: That's been the second episode.
0: Yeah. I suppose I'd like to end on the note that if anyone listening has anything to say, like any sort of uh, suggestions for the format, or suggestions for topics, or...
1: Or questions. Just general questions. Just... Anything. We are open to anything yeah. and everything.
0: There is, uh, in in my world, there is no stupid questions because I'm also fully aware that I don't necessarily ask the questions of the mythology that everyone else would. Yeah. Um, so, I'm very interested to hear what anyone else might find interesting or have yes. noted. Yes. Yeah. So, Thank you. Yes. Thanks for listening.